Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live at our 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m. services, or connect with us on Facebook. Good morning. Are you happy to be in church today? I'm so glad the presence of the Lord is here that when we gather together that He is in our midst and doing His work in us. So glad you came and, and uh, that person you're sitting beside would not, have, uh, uh, had, uh, would not have looked so good if you'd not sit with them today. So thank you for making them look even better. I want to, uh, this morning as we're continuing our series of Friendly Fire, we're talking about relationships, developing healthy relationships, that we are designed for relationships. We've been saying over the last couple of weeks that life is not about having something to do as much as it is about having someone to share it with. Life is not having something to do, it's having someone to share it with. That we're designed for relationship. The measure or the quality of our life is not measured by what we accomplish, but by the people that we influence. When we influence one another, the relationships of what we can accomplish. Relationships are so key. Of course, the Bible makes it clear that we cannot say that we love God who we cannot see if we don't love our brother, our sister, who we can see. And so relationships are so, so crucial. That's why here at Faith Assembly, we have point groups, which are throughout the year seasonal uh, groups that get together for studying and then twice a year which we'll have our spring point group coming up twice a year we do a, a campaign in the spring and then in the fall with just the intentional purpose of getting as much as our goal is 100 percent but uh, um, I know that sometimes it's a little difficult but to see an increase of just a group of people coming together at our home point groups or even at our study point groups we have some groups that will meet here at the church and then some that will meet at homes but just so crucial to get together build relationships. I know there are a number of you here that are involved in point groups and you've been connecting with those same people and relationships growing and and so we encourage you that when that comes around to be a part of that and allow yourself to grow together because life is all about relationships. It's number one having a relationship with Jesus Christ and it's having a relationship with one another. I want to continue in this this, uh, uh, desire of developing healthy, good relationships, and we've been talking about uh, friendly fire, which there are moments that there are unintentional things that will occur, and things that we did not ma- mean or intend to occur, but sometimes just in relationships, there can be conflict. How many have ever had a conflict in a relationship? And uh, hopefully you raise your hand identifying the conflict and not saying, yep, it's right here, that's... Relationships get sticky at times. Relationships get difficult. But the way we grow in Christ is by growing in our relationships. God designed it that way. He intended for us. And so our goal is to live that when we live intentional, it can eliminate incidentals. That we would not not live with the incidentals of life that occur, but that we would be able to heal and allow that work to take place. I love the story of rebound. I love the stories of individuals that are able to rebound from the stuff that could have held them down. You know what I'm talking about? This past winter, uh, the Winter Olympics, the, the men's U.S. curling team. I didn't even know we had one. I never even knew we did curling. Um, I don't understand it. They said it's a mix between uh, ice hockey and chess, so this, this game of curling. But John Schuster, who is the captain of this year's uh, U.S. team that won the Olympics, I, I love his story because he played in the Olympics with the, with the, uh, the, the Olympic team 
in Sochi as they were playing four years ago, but unfortunately his performance was so weak that they said to him that the, the official Olympic team said, no, there's no space for you, you were not good, you didn't qualify, you can't make it. And so John Schuster goes out and he puts his own team together. In fact, they're called the team of rejects. They're the team of rejects that nobody wanted. They put their own team together and they qualified in the U.S. They won the, the, the opportunity to represent U.S. in the Olympics and not only did they win over the team that was the qualified team, but they went to represent the U.S. and they won gold this year in the Winter Olympics. I love the story of rebounding from things that could have held you down. The stories of being able to rebound from the stuff that could have held you down. Every single one of us here have stories of things that could hold us down. In fact, some of us have stories of things that are holding us down. We all have issues and there's things that surround our lives because of things that have happened to us or things that have occurred that there's many reasons to to have the things that could hold us down but that God allows us to rise over the offenses and the things that occur in life. This is the question I want to ask us today. Have you learned the strategy to rebound over life's offenses? You are going to be offended in life. There's going to be things in life that are going to offend you. There are going to be things that will happen and and issues and things that will occur. Every single one of us will experience it in life. And the question that we want to ask ourselves is, have we learned the strategy to overcome the stuff that should or could hold us down? Last week we talked about criticism and the importance of of not criticizing, not allowing ourselves to, to be offensive or to offend others. But today I want to look at the other side of that, and that is the importance of us developing the ability to not be offended or to not be held down by life's offense. You see, we cannot control uh, offense as it, as it comes. In fact, have you found this out, that you can offend somebody even without trying? You can unintentionally offend somebody without even trying. Have you ever found that out? That you didn't mean to offend, but you can be offensive without even trying. It takes no intention to offend someone, but it does take intention to overcome the offense that has been done to you. It takes intention. In fact, it requires forgiveness. It requires the ability to forgive. And I want to look today and the importance of forgiving. There's a story in the Bible of a man, in fact, the book of Genesis, in Genesis 45 is where we're going to look today. And here's a man, he's young when we meet him, the age of 17, we hear early on his early life. His name is Joseph. There's 50 chapters in the book of Genesis, and 13 of them tell the story of Joseph. 26% of the first book of the Bible has to do with Joseph of his journey. Joseph, of course, was a, was a young man who learned how to rebound over the stuff that could have held him down. Let me just give you the story real quick of of Joseph because I know every one of us in this room have stuff that's been done to us, whether things that were intentionally done or just life itself, that there are circumstances, there are offenses of life, there are things that have the ability to hold us down. But when we allow the healing and the work of God to take place, we can rebound from the stuff that was meant or the stuff that could hold us down. Do you believe that today? This is, this is Joseph, of course, we meet him as a young man. He's 17 years old when we, when we really get to hear about him. In fact, he is the second youngest son of Jacob. Jacob, of course, calls him his favorite son. You know what it's like to be your favorite child. Some of you know what it's like to be the favorite child. Some of you are still getting over the issues of the one who was the favorite child. For some of you that just brought up the issues you've got right now, we'll get to that later, shelve that for a moment. 
Joseph, of course, is the favorite child of Jacob, and, and Jacob is, is, is his favorite son. And not only is Joseph his favorite son, but it's his favorite son from his favorite wife. Now, that's a whole other story. We're not going to get into that today. But there were four women that contributed to the tribe that Jacob had. And I just want you to know, just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean God approved of all of it. So don't try and use that one, that, that it was that way in the Bible. But here's Jacob, of course, has a son, Joseph, to Rachel. And Jacob is his favorite. We know this because he gives him a special coat, a coat of many colors, a coat that would have cost more, a coat that would have taken more time and investment. Joseph was the favorite. Joseph was such a dreamer, and he dreamed of significance, even to the point that he would share his dreams with his brothers. In fact, he had a dream one time that his, his wheat was or that, that the wheat of his brothers was bowing down to his wheat. He shared the significance with his older brothers and basically said to them, the symbolism of this, of this dream is that you, my older brothers, will one day bow down to me, the younger brother. It did not excite them as much as it excited Joseph. They were not as excited about the dream as much as Joseph was. In fact, they seized the moment one day as Joseph came out to check on his brothers because his father said, go see what, the, what my, the sons are up to, your brothers, go check on them. And as Joseph is doing what his father says, the brothers look at the, each other and see Joseph coming and they say, this is our moment, let's kill him. But Reuben, one of the brothers, steps in, and Reuben spares Joseph's life. Reuben says, no, let's not kill him. Let's put him in a pit, put him in an empty well, and let him die there on his own. That way the blood's not on our, on our hands. Now, Reuben's plan was to go back and pick him up and go back and rescue him. You know, there's some things in life you feel like you're in a pit, and when you're in that pit, you don't know the full story because, really, you might be in the, in the pit, and it feels like God has abandoned you, but God has just set you in a place for a moment because he's protecting you because you could have been gone. You could have been killed. You could have been taken out but God says I'm putting you at a place that feels like you're forgotten but you're not forgotten it's just where the enemy can't take you out I put you at a place where the enemy cannot take you out and come against you're just in a moment and Jacob J Joseph of course is in this pit and uh, Reuben says let's not kill him he wants to spare his life but before Reuben could come back and rescue Joseph they had already made a deal with some traders who were coming through the area they sold Joseph into slavery they sold Joseph, their brother, into slavery. Joseph is now with a group of people he had never met. He is now, he is now possession. And he's taken into Egypt. And while he's in Egypt, he is sold into Potiphar's house. Potiphar is a commander. A commander who is in charge. He has rank. He has authority. And Joseph is serving in his house as a caretaker of his possessions, of his resources, and what he has and while he's one day taking care of Potiphar's house and his business, Mrs. Potiphar sees Joseph and finds Joseph rather attractive. She invites Joseph for some Netflix and chill, if you know what that means. And Joseph, of course, rebuked or he, he ran away from the bait. He didn't take the bait, but in the process, he left his coat behind. And when he left his coat behind, the Potiphar, Mrs. Potiphar, screams out loud and says to her husband, this slave that you brought into the house tried to rape me. And Joseph is like, I didn't do a thing. But the lie is told, and all of a sudden, Mr. Potiphar says, you're not going to treat my wife that way, so off to prison you go. He is now in prison for about five to ten years, as if being sold into slavery wasn't enough. 
Now he's lied and put lied against and put into prison for five to ten years. While he's in prison, God gives him favor because it doesn't matter where you are at your lowest place. God knows how to meet you with his favor, even at the place when it feels like you're at your bottom. God knows how to allow his favor to meet you in that place. And if you would allow the favor of God to be upon your life, it might be the moment you don't want to be in, but it's only a moment for a little while. That if you allow the favor of God to rest on your life, it's only for a moment. It might be five to ten years, but only for a moment. God will bring you out of that prison when you allow God his work to take place in your life. Joseph is there. He's honored. He's in position. He's now put in charge of other prisoners. Two in particular, two prisoners come into his, under his leadership. And these two prisoners served in Pharaoh's house. Now, this isn't Potiphar's house. This is Potiphar, who is the commander. But now this is Pharaoh. He's the head honcho. He's the big dog. He's the guy over all of Egypt. Pharaoh has two people that were serving with him in his courts, and he must have had a bad day. Do you ever know that? That if dad comes home and he has a bad day, it doesn't take much to make everybody upset or to cause things. How many? Okay, some of you are acting so innocent, like I have no idea what that means. Pharaoh, of course, had a bad day. He says to his cupbearer and to the baker, he says, off to prison with you. You guys didn't do it right. You're going to prison. While they're in prison, they, of course, meet, they meet Joseph. Joseph is under, they're under Joseph's care. He's doing his job well. He has the favor of God. They have a dream. Both of them each have a dream. And they tell their dream to Joseph. And Joseph says, well, it just so happens I know the God who gives dreams and interprets dreams. And Joseph said, I can tell you what those dreams mean. I can't, but the God that I serve is able to tell you what the dreams mean. In fact, he then tells him the dream. He says to the baker, he says, not good for you, buddy. Your head's going to be cut off. It's not a good day for you. But to the cupbearer, you're going to be restored back to Pharaoh's place in his palace. And you're going to be restored back to place. And when you do, remember me. When you do, remember me. I've been put here unfairly. I've been serving. Remember me when you get to Pharaoh's palace. All of a sudden, everything happens just like, just like Joseph said. The baker went off to his end, and the cupbearer went back into the palace. And while Joseph is in prison waiting for someone to remember him, the cupbearer forgot all about him. In fact, it wasn't until two years later. Joseph is now in prison another two years And two years later, the Pharaoh has a dream. And as Pharaoh has a dream, he says to the people that are around him, can somebody tell me what this dream means? Can someone tell me what this dream means? And all of a sudden, the cupbearer, he says, "Uh, I know a guy. And two years later, he says, I know a guy. Now listen, Joseph has now been forgotten and left in prison for two extra years. He's been put in prison for five to ten years because someone lied about him. And it all started because his brothers sold him into slavery. Every therapist would look at this kid and give him all kind of labels and say for the abandonment, the rejection, and everything he's gone through, no wonder he has the issues he has. No wonder he's as messed up as he is. No wonder he's got the issues that come against him. No wonder because of the way life happened to him, the way things took place, the way things happened in his life. No wonder he's got issues. But we find Joseph in chapter 45 And you might find him not the way you would expect to find him. In fact, it's now Joseph is brought out of prison and he's at the age of 30. It has now been 13 years taken away from his family, put into prison, forgotten, and now he's brought before Pharaoh. At the age of 30, he comes to Pharaoh. He says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, I hear you could tell me about my dream. He says, well, I know the God who interprets dreams. I know the God who is able to do it. Tell me your dream. And so Pharaoh tells him the dream. Pharaoh says there were seven fat cows and they were out eating. 
And then all of a sudden, seven skinny cows came and ate the fat cows. I don't know what Pharaoh ate that night, but that is a messed up dream. Seven fat cows got eaten by seven skinny cows. And of course, Joseph gives the interpretation. Joseph says to Pharaoh, he says, what your dream means is this, is that seven years, that there will be seven years of harvest, that there will be seven years of bountiful crops, and there'll be great blessing. And those seven years will be followed then by seven years of famine. And so he says to him, Pharaoh, I would advise you that you ought to store up from the seven good years and take a surplus and put that away, keep it in a storehouse so that when the seven bad years come, you'll have something to give and you'll also be able to sell and trade with others. It will give you influence. This is what I recommend from the dream. Pharaoh says, you're a smart kid. I want you to be second in command. You're the governor of all of Egypt. You will be second in command. You will have everyone under you except for me. Joseph has now risen to a place of going from the pit, the prison, and we all know this, but how do you act whenever now you're face to face with the brothers who sold you? Now, because we pick it up in chapter 45, Joseph's brothers, his, their father Jacob said, hey, I heard that there's food in Egypt. Boys, why don't you go to Egypt and get some food? And when the brothers of Joseph arrive at Egypt, Guess who they end up dealing with? They don't know it right away. But now in verse in chapter 45, would you stand with me as we look at this today? Here it is. Now Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Verse 45. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out all of you, so he was alone with his brothers. When he told them who he was, they broke down and wept. He wept so loud, he wept so loud that the Egyptians could hear him, and the word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. I guess so. They just saw a ghost. This is the brother they thought was dead. They thought it was in their past. We buried this. It's done. We did this at this point now. It's 22 years ago. Joseph is now 39 years of age. The first seven years of good famine have occurred. And now it's the first first seven years of a good harvest has occurred. He's 37. And then it's two years of of the, the famine. And now he's 39 years old. 22 years ago, his brothers last saw him. And they sent him out and left him for dead and sold him off into slavery and now they're confronted no wonder they're speechless what do you say when you're confronted with what you what you thought was the past that it was behind you that it that it's gone and here is now Joseph standing in front of them they were stunned to realize that it was Joseph standing there in front of them please come closer he said to them so they came closer and he said again I am Joseph your brother whom you sold into slavery in Egypt this is the moment he's been waiting for he tells his brothers come in and I can't wait to tell you what's on my mind for the last 22 years I've been suffering because of what you've done to me it's what you've caused in my life this is what you would expect to hear this is what would make sense to you and I that Joseph would have this moment to finally let them know to confront the people that caused this problem that did everything to him and listen how Joseph responds just like you would expect right just like you would expect here's what it says in verse 5 but don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me into this place are you kidding me I mean just like you would expect to write it and read it right 
Just like you would expect that when you've been offended, when you've been hurt, when you've been put in a place and someone caused your, your, your loss and your pain and your difficulty, just like we would expect, right, to say, oh, it's no big deal. We don't want you to be upset. Don't want you to be bothered. Joseph had a different perspective. Listen what he says. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me into this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of all of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master over all the land of Egypt. So come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen where you can be near me with all your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and everything that you own. I will take care of you there. This is the guy who was left in prison, sold into slavery, and for 22 years separated from his father. And he says, I'll take care of you. For there are still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise, your household and all your animals will starve. Then Joseph added, look, you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that I really am Joseph. They knew it was Joseph because Joseph said, I'm not just your brother who was lost. I'm the bro brother that you sold into slavery. He knew. No one, they never told anyone else. Do you think they ever told anybody? Hey, we used to have another brother. We sold him. <laughs> who do you think they told that to? And there was another one. No, the story they gave was we had another one, but he died. He passed. They told part of the story. And Joseph calls it out. Joseph says, I'm the brother that you sold into slavery. You can't get away with that. You can't hide behind that. I know what you did. This was done. And Joseph, of course, he says, come closer. You'll know that it's me, that it's your brother. He described everything that you've seen. He says, go tell my father of the honored position that I have here and describe everything that you've seen and then bring my father here quickly. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin and Benjamin did the same. Verse 15, I want you to hear this. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers. Not just Benjamin, the one who was innocent. Not just Reuben who tried to come back and rescue him, but even the one who came up with the idea and said, let's get rid of him. He kissed every one of them. Listen. It says, then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely to him. You see, the enemy has done whatever he can to keep our relationships at a distance and cause us to just do surface talk. Let's not get deep and intimate and real. Let's not deal with real things. Let's just have casual conversation. But they spoke freely. I believe today that God wants to open some wells that have been holding back some relationships to allow freedom and forgiveness and healing to flow. And I believe today God wants to do that so he can make our lives stronger. You believe that today? If you believe that today, find your neighbor, your neighbor you brought to church with you today. Just tell him today. Tell him this. You've got issues. You've got issues. You've got issues. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're not done yet. We're not done yet. Look. You've got issues, but issues don't have you. Come on, tell him, but issues don't have you. And, and then before we pray, come on, just put your arm around him and tell him, I got you. I got you. I got you. I got you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for giving us one another Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you that we have brothers and sisters together to grow and to become closer in you. I pray that you would cause this word to do the work that only you can do in our lives. We pray this. Let captives be set free today in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, would you just shout amen? Amen. amen. You may be seated. 
I feel an anointing this morning to preach liberty to the captives. I feel a liberty today to preach to somebody that's been bound by unforgiveness and resentment and hurt for decades. That God wants to say to you today, today is the year of jubilee. The year of the Lord's favor. That he wants to set you free. That he wants you to leap again in the fields and the pastures. To have a joy and to resonate with the promise and the presence of God in your life. Your freedom's been long overdue. Your freedom and the joy of knowing the presence of God. Of knowing his grace, his mercy is long overdue. We know that. It is God's desire that we would rebound. And like Joseph, I pray that we would have a desire to to grow and to allow that work of freedom that we can freely communicate with one another. I want to share just from this title today simply this, uh, Forged in Forgiveness. Forged in Forgiveness. Something that is forged means to be formed by a, a concentrated effort. It's a concentrated effort. Everything focuses to this. It's forged. It's, it's made. It's, it's the heat. It's the hammer. Everything is moving for this to cause a purpose, a concentrated effort that you and I, each of us, have issues in our lives that are, that are affecting us, that we're becoming affected by the issues that have come our way. Every single one of us have issues. Every single one of us have life's events or circumstances, situations that have been done against us, that have been done to us, and things that have occurred. That all of us have opposition, but I want you to hear today, opposition or issues are not your opposition to significance. Issues are the opening to significance. It's not your opposition, it's the opening. Joseph only got where he got because he had a dream. But how many know everybody wants a dream, but nobody wants a dream to be tested? Joseph had to go to a place that he had a dream, but that dream had to be forged in the testing, in the place that he had to go through. And when he learned to walk in forgiveness, that made him ready for significance. He was able to accomplish great things because the forgiveness that came through. Because you and I know this, that we could look at Joseph and say, everything you went through, it makes sense why you're bitter. It makes sense why you don't connect well with people. It makes sense why you don't allow yourself to trust other people. After all you've gone through, I get it. Too much of what we do in life makes sense to us. Makes sense. Makes sense that we hurt and carry bitterness, carry the, 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 the aggression, carry whatever it is that we carry with us, that there are these issues that we have, but until our, our dreams and the things that God wants to do in our lives are pushed through some areas of testing, it will not be as significant as it can be. You will not experience significance without passing on forgiveness. If you want to have significance, you're going to have to learn to forgive. Your significance is connected to forgiveness. Forgiveness opens the door to significance. How many want your life to be something of significance? You want to live in the joy of significance, of of, of not just for yourself, but something of joy that's measurable and the hope that we have that in order to get to significance, we have to go through forgiveness. Listen to this scripture in Mark chapter 11. This is Jesus speaking. I want you to see the connection of significance and forgiveness. Jesus says this, I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. 
happen. But you must first really believe or you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. How many would say that's significant praying? That's a level of praying in significance that God says you can speak to this mountain, that you can have that level of faith, that level of response that obviously in things as we proclaim when it's in God's name, when we trust him, that God would want us to do things of significance. But I want you to see then the next verse. Here's what he says. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against. It would sound to us in reading like, wait, Jesus, you just jumped tracks. You're talking about praying things that are powerful, that you can pray mountains into the sea, that you can ask anything in your name. And you're talking about this. And then all of a sudden you jump tracks and go to forgiveness. Jesus wasn't having a split thought and a moment. These go together. Jesus is saying that if you want significance in faith, if you want to experience the things that God has for you, you cannot get to the great things that God has without releasing forgiveness in your heart. That unless you forgive, unless you let go of the grudge, in fact, he follows it up. He says this, because if you don't forgive the brothers around you or the brothers and sisters around you, that you cannot then receive the forgiveness that comes from God. That unforgiveness hinders the great work that God wants to do in your life. The greatest of which is for us to receive the forgiveness that comes from Jesus Christ. How many know if we don't have forgiveness from sins, we don't have anything? If we don't have forgiveness from sins, we have nothing. And the greatest work is that we know that we have been forgiven, that the freedom of God reigns in our lives, that because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, that we have freedom, that the liberty has come to us and we're set free, but we'll never know that if we're always holding on to the grudge and holding on to the unforgiveness and holding on to the things that have occurred in our lives. Forgiveness gives way to significance, but unforgiveness will block. Forgiveness is hard for us because it's counterintuitive to what we're used to, to what we're, what we're about. Too often we act according to our feelings and our senses, and you know what I'm talking about. That oftentimes we do what makes sense to us and we do what we think. And because it makes sense to us, we stay in this realm of just doing what makes sense. But it doesn't make sense to forgive. And here's what we have a hard time rationalizing. Because when it comes to reasoning, the Bible says, come, let us reason together. And we reason together for the purpose of reconciliation. But unfortunately, when we come to reasoning, we want to come to reason and try and figure out why it works the way it does. Because you know what it's like that when something goes wrong and bad things happen, you immediately go to, what have I done in my past to deserve this? And what caused me to get to this place? And you immediately look back and try to trace what happened and what you did or what someone else did to deserve this. You know, because we're trying to figure out how it works. Because we figure if I can make sense of it, it'll help me understand it better. Do you know there's some offenses that have been done to some people in this world that they'll never make sense of how evil and perverted some people can be? Do you know there's some evil and sickness that no one, that what some people do will never make sense? So why is it that we think if I can make sense of it, then it will help me understand it. And if I can understand it, then I'll be able to forgive them. We miss the whole essence and the power of what forgiveness is. Because forgiveness doesn't happen because it makes sense to us. Forgiveness happens because in spite of what happened to us, we're not held down by what could hold us down. We allow ourselves to rise above because of the power and the grace of God. That this is what the cross of Jesus Christ does. 
that when Jesus died on the cross and his blood covered my sin, the Bible says, though my sins were red as scarlet, he has now washed me white as snow, which means when I'm at life's difficulty, it's not right for me to look back and say, what did I do to deserve this? Because my, my sins are washed under the blood of Jesus Christ, and it's as if they never showed up. I am forgiven because of the sin or because of what Jesus Christ has done. My sins are gone. Now, you and I know what it's like because we look at our past. And the reason we do this and the danger of us doing that in our lives is because what we do to ourselves, we do to other people. Instead of looking at people with compassion, we look at people with criticism. We look at people with, well, they finally get what they deserve. We hold unforgiveness because rather than being compassionate towards what people are going through, we look and say, well, you know, they had it coming. We carry resentment. We carry attitudes that say, well, you know, they've been living that life for how long and the things that they've been doing, the choices they make and the stuff, they had it coming. That's what they deserve. How many know that because we see ourselves, we see other people the same way, that forgiveness is, a two ways to, is, is twofold, that sometimes there are some people who have a hard time forgiving other people, but really they also have a hard time forgiving themselves. They also have a hard time forgiving themselves to allow the work that Jesus Christ has done, what he has done under the the, the cross, that our sins are washed away, that now our life is not coming together to reason, to make sense of what happened, but to come to a place and to say that God is able to give me a hope and a future. The cross wasn't meant for me to look this point backwards. The cross was meant for me to look from here forward, to look ahead to what God has for me. The cross gives us the power to overcome. I was with a family a number of months ago, and, and um, as I was praying for them, they had gone through a loss, and this is where this word really resonated for me. A couple of months ago, as I was praying for them, a young family, they had lost a baby, and um, just months old, and uh, this baby, uh, of course, a tragedy, a difficulty, and I prayed for not only the family and their current situation, but I was praying for them in their future. I was already sensitive to the fact that what they're going through can really affect their marriage, their relationship. And I began to pray for them in the future. And the Lord really gave me a word, and this really was for them, but it it really is what I want to preach from this morning. What the Lord spoke to my heart is that, Jason, if you learn how to handle the seed that doesn't make sense, God will give you a harvest that doesn't make sense. You see, this family has going through a situation that, You know the first question is, God, why do we lose? God, why are we going through this loss? God, why are we going through this pain? Why? What did we do to deserve this? What did I do to deserve this? You know every offense and everything that happens in life quickly goes through that lens, and we try to understand it. We try to make sense of it, but how many know there's some things we'll just never make sense of? You're never going to make sense of of why God allows what he allows and things that take place. It's never going to make sense. But what I felt in my spirit became just a word for me. It wasn't just for that family. But God was saying to me, Jason, learn how to handle the seed that doesn't make sense. Because when it's a seed that doesn't make sense, sometimes it doesn't make sense to put your last seed in the ground. But when that's all that you have, it's your hope. You plant the seed with hope that when you plant what doesn't make sense, you know that God will give you a harvest that doesn't make sense. I said to this family, it would make sense to me that I could come and see you in five years. And in five years, I could see the tension in your 
your home. I could maybe even see divorce. I could see resentment and bitterness. And I could look at your life down the road and I can say, oh, it makes sense why you hurt so bad. It makes sense why you carry bitterness. It makes sense that you feel the way you feel because of everything that's happened to you. And how many would know today, and this is something I want you to hear me say this morning, too many of us are sitting here bound in our issues and our problems and too much of it makes sense to us. It's time to lay down what doesn't make sense and to allow God to set us free with a power that doesn't make sense. Because if you handle the seed that doesn't make sense, you'll reap a harvest that doesn't make sense. When it doesn't make sense to go through the pain you're going through, but you trust God, you'll find out that God will give you a joy that doesn't make sense. That I'll come back five years later and say, man, it doesn't make sense that you went through what you went through, but you're still held together. It doesn't make sense that you went through the trouble and the pain and the setback. It doesn't make sense that you had life's worst issues come your way, but you're still found in joy. You're still held together. You still have the peace of God. You still have the hope. I'd rather have what doesn't make sense in this life. Sorry for my rant. Too many of us are coming to church with the same issues that we're carrying. Unforgiveness. And a lot of it is set from unforgiveness. And some of us aren't even realizing the unforgiveness that we're holding on to. We're not letting those things to be let go of. And allow ourselves to move beyond. Because we're trying to make sense of it. And we've even tried to convince ourselves that if I can make sense of it. If I can make sense of why it hurts so bad. Then maybe I can heal. No you won't. No you won't. Because what God wants to use to heal you doesn't make sense. It's a joy that's unspeakable. It's a peace that passes all understanding. It's a presence of God that cannot be comprehended or understood. A presence of God that he shows up in our deepest and darkest moments, but he knows how to let his light shine in the place of our hurt and our pain, that he meets us right in that moment where we are. Some of us are carrying pain that I could look back, and I want to be sympathetic, and we will be sympathetic. I know you've gone through what you've gone through, and I know it's not easy to go through what you've gone through. But I also want to tell you as well, there's a God who can cause you to rebound from what could have held you down. There's a God who can cause you to rise above what could have set you back. There's a God who will cause you, and that significance will only occur when you allow forgiveness to flow freely in your life. Allowing forgiveness to flow. Letting go of resentment, that bitterness, the stuff that holds us back. I know sometimes it's not a matter of getting over it. In fact, it's not a matter of getting over it because some things are hard to get over. But instead of looking over it or, or overlooking it, it's not a matter of overlooking it. And overlooking it sounds careless, like pretend it's not even there. Just overlook it. Just, just overlook it. But I want to encourage you today, today not to just overlook it, but to look over. To not let your eyes be fixed on the pain. Because here's the question. You have two options today. You can either allow life to happen to you or you can allow God to work through you. You can either allow the life that's happening to you or you can allow the God to be at work in you. These three things. I just want to share this quickly. The worship team's going to come and help us close. But I want you to write these three things down and, and I want, want you to look at these two things. I don't know which side you're on today. Either life happening to you or God working through you. I want to look today in just these three things, identifying what is the source, the purpose, and the outcome. And here's the source. The source is this, that it's either life just happening, or it's God who is in control of whatever you're going through. Joseph said these words. He said, you didn't sell me, you sold me into slavery, but you're not the one who got me here. God 
worked in my life, and God was working through this situation. Do you know today, are you able to say that God is at work even in the midst of your pit, even in the midst of your failure, even in the midst of your pain, even in the midst of what's been done to you? Are you able to see God at work in you, or does it feel like God's abandoned you? Well, I know yes to both of them. Just because you feel like God has abandoned you doesn't mean you don't know God's still working in you because I'm sure Joseph sat in the pit saying, God, why am I here? You gave me a dream, but I know, God, that you're the source, and because you're the source, you're the one that I'll lift my eyes to. I'll look unto you. I'll lift my eyes to you where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. Fix our eyes on Jesus. And too often, we're looking at the source of our pain rather than the source of our healing. We're looking at the source of our pain. Your mind is too much fixed on where your problem comes from. You wake up in the morning, the first thing you think about is the problem. And that problem sometimes has a face. And you, will, you allow that to become what's fixed in your mind. You're consumed with what your problem is. I would say to you today, get your eyes off your problem and fix your eyes on the source who is God at work in you. That your source is Jesus Christ. Your source is greater. The God who created you is greater than the circumstances that come at you. That your source, the source is greater than your circumstance. Number two, the, the purpose, that your purpose, the purpose that God has for you is greater than you. It's greater than you. This is, you can either have life that's happening to you, and you're just left to pick up the pieces of life that's happening to you, or you can see God at work and know that God is working through you, and this is not something that God's just hitting you with that's off. It might be surprised to you, but it wasn't surprised to God. God knew how to work this through you, and now it's not about you. It's what God is doing through you, because I'm grateful. There's some of you here today, you know the pain of going through it firsthand. You know my mom's pain. Some of you can relate to my mom's pain. My mom grew up in a dysfunctional home. My mom grew up with an alcoholic. My mom grew up in a home where literally she watched family members be threatened, their lives being threatened at gunpoint. My mom grew up in a broken, dysfunctional home. And some of you know that dysfunction. But you know what? I've never seen the dysfunction. Because when my mom was 20 years old and I was 2 years old, Jesus got a hold of my mom's life. And she didn't live with issues. She left, lived with a healing. I've had moments where I've said to my mom, the older I got, and I learned what my mom went through I've said to my mom mom I don't understand how you turned out the way you turned out after going through what you went through to which I know that when you do what doesn't make sense God will work in your life what doesn't make sense when you allow him to heal and allow him to work he'll cause you to be redeemed and he'll make your life new I've never known the pain that my mom went through you know why because she'd allowed God to do something through her and now she passed on to me Something I'll get to pass on. Why? Because she allowed healing. God wants you to allow healing today. That the outcome or the, the, the purpose is greater than you. Let me give you the last one. The last one is this. That the outcome is greater than this moment. What God is doing, what you're in right now, your pain, it's only for a moment. God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. God didn't cause and it wasn't God's desire that you be abused and affected and taken advantage of. That wasn't God's plan. We live in a sinful world. But God says, gave the words to Joseph, what was meant to kill you, what was meant to take you out, what was meant for evil, what was meant to destroy you, what was meant to make you feel like trash, what was meant to make you have issues. What was meant to make you be labeled and be left in a place where now you can't even function. You can't even think for yourself. You can't even be productive. What was meant to hold you back. 
God says, I can take that thing and flip it on its head and I can cause it to work in the devil's face because what was meant for evil, I'm a God that can make it work for good. I'm a God that can take your dysfunction and cause it to produce healing. I'm a God who can take that work that's been done. And so today, I know you've been hurt. Here's Joseph. He finally meets his brothers who sold him into slavery. I've had people who have hurt me not as bad as you've been hurt. I know I may not have had the pain you've gone through, but I've had people who have sometimes hurt me. And I got to be honest, laying a kiss on them wasn't the first thing I thought I wanted to do. I mean, I wish I could sound holier at the moment, but I've had times where I thought, God, give them what they deserve, Lord. David even prayed that at times. But Joseph developed something from being in the pit. Joseph learned how when you fix your eyes on what's bright, that even when it's dark, you still have a burnt image inside your mind. As I was praying in here on Thursday morning, I began to sing a song that I couldn't break. As I just began to sing over and over again, my eyes closed. I, I said, God, just burn your image on my eyes. You notice when you stare at something long enough, that even when you look away, you still see that thing you were staring at? How many have ever talk, know what I'm talking about? You can look at something so bright, and when you see something so bright, you stare at it, and the moment you look away, you still see the image of that bright thing that you were looking at. You can find it on sometimes on Google certain things, and they have these optical illusions that you can look at. Stare at this for so long. Joseph learned how to stare in the promise of his creator. And even while he was in life's difficult moment, he knew it looks dark, but I've got a burnt image in my mind that there's a God who has not forsaken me. There's a God who has not left me. There's a God that I know in the midst of my darkness, I will trust him. I know that he will prevail. I'm going to allow this bitterness, this hurt, this pain, I'm going to allow it to fall off. The reason why is because if I don't, that the forgiveness is going to give way to my significance. The dream that God has for me, he's not forgotten the dream, but the only way I'm going to get to the dream is if I allow this forgiveness to be dealt with. If I allow forgiveness, if I allow healing, I don't know what you've been holding on to. Some of you have been holding on for years. And I know I could even say to you, man, you have a right to. Humanly speaking, Naturally speaking, you have every right to hold on to that grudge. Nobody even knows what you've gone through. If people only knew, they'd look at you and say, I can't believe you put up with this. They'd look at you and say, I can't believe you even go through this. It makes no sense to me. I prefer, it would only seem to me, just do what makes sense. And what makes sense is to just shove away. What makes sense is to ignore. What makes sense is become defensive. What makes sense is to hold it in arm's length. What makes sense is to just keep away. So Joseph did that. He leaned in. And instead of holding it at arm's distance, he embraced the brother that sold him into slavery and kissed every one of them and wept over them because sometimes when you think you're broken and the people have hurt you you don't even know how hurt they were you don't know how broken they were 
You don't know how broken they were because of what has either occurred. And I wonder if Joseph came to a place and Joseph said, I'm going to kiss them. It might look like I should push them away, but I want them to know I'm going to bless them. I'm going to bring them close. And it might even look like I ought to just shove them off or I ought to have nothing to do with them. But Joseph said, no, I'm going to weep over them because I don't know what they're going through, but I know God healed me. And so God can heal them too. And if God, how many know that day Joseph allowed healing to flow? That's why the Bible says that they be began to spoke to, to speak freely with him because now healing was released i wonder if there's some pent-up healing that you've got to allow some chains to fall off you've got to allow some things to flow and you've got to let go of those things so that healing can begin to flow you need healing today to be forged is to be formed by a concentrated effort something else that is concentrated means this to focus Some of us today need to take our eyes from the pain that's been on us. Fix our eyes on the one who's able to heal us. As I sing this song, that on Thursday all morning as I was in my prayer time, in fact, I didn't pray like I normally pray. I just sang this song. And as I sang this song, I just began to ask God, God, burn your image in my mind. So even at moments where it feels like I'm abandoned, moments where it feels like I'm alone, moments where it feels like I'm forgotten, even in the darkness, I close my eyes and I still see your glory. I still see your presence. If you need healing today, as I sing this song this morning, I'm going to invite you just to stand to your feet and allow God to do that in your heart. Turn your eyes upon Let him heal you today. And the things of earth will grow strangely in the light of his glory. Come on, just lift your eyes to him right now. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Sing it again. doesn't make sense just that it doesn't make sense but to honor God and say God I'll trust you with what doesn't make sense because I believe that you'll give me a harvest that doesn't make sense you'll give me what doesn't make sense the cross of Jesus Christ came to redeem and to set captives free by his stripes you are healed that unforgiveness in Jesus name let it go today, make a decision today that you're going to allow healing to flow instead of holding it at arm's length not so you can get what you're looking for 
Not so it can finally go the way that you want, but that healing might be able to flow and you might be able to speak freely to one another. There's some marriages you're holding on to grudge. You're holding on to resentment and you're not speaking freely with each other. You've just learned the song and dance of performing for one another. You've just learned how to get by, but you've not learned how to speak freely and to allow healing. There's some relationships you've got to allow healing to flow. We've got to allow the healing and the work and the presence of God. Only the presence of Jesus Christ can make it possible. I know today, I've not been where you've been. Oh, trust me. I humbly say that there's a healer who can heal you in the pain. And I know I've never felt the pain you've gone through. I know I don't know what you're going through. But I know there's one. And his name is Jesus. So today, if you say today, I'm making a decision. Today, I'm leaving unforgiveness behind. I want God to allow healing to flow through me. If that's you today, I'm going to invite you. If you want to come to this altar, we're just going to pray. Come on, Jalen, sing the name of Jesus. Let's declare the name of Jesus. And if that's you today, come on, let's declare the name of Jesus. Allow that work of God to happen in your life.